In the year 2018, an author by the name of Alan Kruger wrote a book that, I don't know, I just find it fascinating. Now, the, the title of the book is Rockonomics, and that title tells you a little bit about its story. Essentially, the book is a well-written account of what goes on behind the economic curtain that makes up the global rock industry. And I'll tell you what got me thinking about Kruger's book is the current, and I'm just going to say unfolding story of what may be Bruce Springsteen's, the boss's, last American tour. Don't you love the boss? Listen to this. As of today, as of this podcast, tickets for the boss's last tour are selling for an astronomical amount of $4,000 per seat in many markets. Of course, that, that raises for me kind of an interesting question. So how would you answer this? If you could pay a sum of money for the privilege of going behind the curtain of your favorite musician, whoever it is, the boss, anyone else, whoever it is, what amount would you be willing to pay? On our podcast today, I, I do, I want to take you behind the curtain, uh, not the curtain of a rock band or a rock star. In fact, an entirely different type of curtain. In fact, I, we're going to talk about a spiritual curtain, namely the curtain that separates our physical world from the spiritual world. That curtain that when you peel it back allows us to look into the lives of angels, those that belong to God, as much as those who opposed him in the great war of Revelation 12, angels that our scriptures often refer to simply as demons. Today we're continuing our look at Daniel 8, and we've reached that point in Daniel's journey where through ecstatic vision, he's actually allowed to see what human eyes are unable to see, the unfolding of the future. Joining Daniel behind the curtain is one of God's closest angels, namely the angel Gabriel. Now, as we, as we look at this section of scripture, I'm going to set in front of you today just a couple of initial questions. I want you to put these in the back of your head, just kind of keep them running. They're meant to get you thinking about what it might mean to get a glimpse behind the curtain of this physical world. Here are the questions, three of them. Number one, have you ever seen an angel? It's, one of, it's one of, actually one of my favorite questions to ask people. And uh, believe it or not, I've learned a lot from folks just by asking them this question, by treating it not as a fiction, but as a spiritual reality. Um, and, and a reality for a lot more people than you would guess. I, I love to ask Christians that question. Have you ever seen an angel? Try it sometime. Just ask someone and, uh, and give them some room to talk in. Maybe you'll end up sharing some angel stories. So the second question I'm going to set in front of you, just keep it running in the back of your head, is pretty much the opposite of that. Have you ever seen a demon? Let that sink in for a minute. Again, I, I found that far more folks than you might imagine would answer that question in the affirmative. They would say, actually, I, I believe I have. Here's the third question. How would you describe for someone the interaction that is meant to occur between humans and angels? So I'm going to say that just a little bit differently. If you, if you understood this in a personal way, what to your knowledge, 
have been the interactions between you and angels, good or bad? What is the interaction that's going on? How would you describe that for someone else? So I want to tell you that over my, my years of ministry, one of the things I've observed is the truth that while few evangelical Christians doubt the existence of angels, the church really doesn't spend a lot of time talking about them. You ever notice that? Uh, not about good angels or, or demons for that matter. In fact, maybe even less for, uh, for demons. As I was preparing this podcast, I, I was kind of in my own mind trying to recall how much time was spent during my seminary years on this subject. And apart from maybe a couple of systematic classes, uh, theological classes, really wasn't a lot of time. By, by the way, the same is true for what I learned in Sunday school or confirmation class for that matter. Um, not a lot of time spent when I was little talking about the spiritual world of, of angels. Now, angels weren't denied. They weren't circumlocuted when they appeared in a Bible context. There, there just wasn't much said of them until, that is, I met a professor who had actually been there. So, question for you. Do you remember the 1973 film titled The Exorcist, considered by some to have been the scariest film ever produced? I have to tell you, not only do I remember it, but it, it scared the bejeebers, if that's a word, out of me. The film, paradoxically, was released, did you know this, on Jesus' birthday. Christmas Day, 1973, was the release date for The Exorcist. You talk about something being a little bit scary. Immediately, my parents told me, you, Luke, will not see that film. I mean, they were, they were antithetically opposed to me going to that movie. But there was my cousin, Roger. Come on, Luke, your parents aren't going to find out. And so I went. Afterwards, I'm going to tell you this, I not only told my parents that I had gone, but after seeing that film, I was not about to lie. And I needed their help. I couldn't sleep in peace for weeks after watching that movie, depicting a demon possession and the attempt to remove the demon, the fallen angel, through an exorcism. What I didn't know then was that several years later, I would actually meet and come under the study of a man who had been present at the actual exorcism upon which the film was based. That's right, I said actual exorcism. If you don't know or have never been told the backstory to this film, I want to I share with you the fact that the screenplay for the film was based on a book written by William Blatty, who himself was just fascinated by an exorcist case involving a 14-year-old boy living in Cottage City, Maryland. The, the boy, who was raised, believe it or not, in a German Lutheran family, he began to experience unexplainable abnormalities leading his parents to engage their priest in February 1949. Uh, not experiencing any relief, the family traveled to St. Louis where a priest, uh, Father Walter Halloran, and a Lutheran pastor, Reverend William Bowdern, did perform what was considered a successful exorcism. And it was at this exorcism that my professor, who was in St. Louis at the time, was present. 
Now, here's what I'll always remember. It was during an in-depth study of the book of Revelation that myself and several classmates, I think there were about five of us in this particular class, asked our professor about angels and fallen angels or demons. It's the first time that a professor became, I'm just going to use the words, deathly serious about what it means to interact with angels. When I close my eyes, I can still hear him. I can still hear him and see him emphatically insisting that the five of us not ever take on this subject matter with a grain of salt. I can see his eyes, which, by the way, had the quality of just burning through a person. This professor did. I can see him just light up as he urged us to never, ever, please men, never, ever attempt to battle an angel in your own might. And it's after this, just on a personal note, that I, I really began to hunger for more knowledge of what happens behind the curtain. Again, for, for information about the interaction between angels and we as human beings. So it's in chapter 8 that we find ourselves behind the curtain with Daniel. And not just any angel, but the archangel Gabriel. Uh, there are two named archangels in the canonical scriptures, Michael and Gabriel. The latter name, if you've never heard this, is made up of two Hebrew parts, Geber, meaning strong man, and El, meaning God. Put them together and you have Geber El, Gabriel. And Gabriel is without exception God's strong man, an angel that we'll encounter several times throughout the scriptures and most notably at Jesus' birth. Now, the role of Gabriel in this chapter, chapter 8, is telling. Daniel, as we've discovered over the last several weeks, has been burdened. He's heavy with a vision of history that God has revealed to him. In particular, he's seeking to make sense. He cannot, but he's seeking to make sense of the persecution that future followers of God will face under who we now know will be the hand of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Now, as Daniel encounters the angel Gabriel, he's not able to stand in his presence. I think this is significant, that the scripture actually uses the term terrified here. Daniel, upon seeing, experiencing Gabriel, falls face down. Equally significant is Gabriel's response. He does not want to be worshipped. He does not want to be glorified in any way. He knows who he is, and he knows what it is that God has called him to be, namely a servant, both to God and a man. So I find it instructive that Gabriel touches Daniel, causing him to stand up and prepares to show him that as burdened as he might be about the coming persecution, God is and will always remain fully in control of all that man experiences here on earth. I, I want to read for you verses 23 to 25 of chapter 8. As we read these verses, I want to highlight two things that Gabriel is seeking to teach Daniel. Uh, first is the truth that all that happens on earth happens under the authority and appointment of God. Kind of get that in your mind. What is Gabriel trying to teach Daniel? All that happens on earth is under the authority and appointment of God. That's the first thing. Second thing I believe Gabriel is seeking to teach Daniel 
is the fact that the supernatural world, the world of angels, is much more a part of our lives than we want to give credit for. So I want to read to you again, Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. Lord, we pray for your guidance and your direction as we read these words, beginning verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, remember here um, that God is trying to show Daniel what's coming, what lay ahead. And he's showing him these kings that will take a rule. And he says at the latter end of their kingdom, when their transgressions have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands Sentences of darkness shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Interesting. Get that. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Well, then by whose? And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. He's, he's going to persecute the church by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he will destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. That would be Jesus. Rise up against Jesus, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. A couple of times there, you catch it, don't you, that? Uh, this, these are not just human hands that are at work here that there's something going on behind the curtain. Now, in his book, Diary of an American Exorcist, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, a priest of the Diocese of Syracuse and a research association of the Catholic Church at the University of America, he actually shares his real-life experiences as a certified exorcist within the Catholic Church. According to Catholic Jurors today, 50 certified exorcists serving the needs of the church body. By the way, they stay busy. A single exorcist, listen to this, a single exorcist might receive today, 2022, as many as 20 calls per week from individuals describing disturbing behaviors and activities in the lives of their loved ones. Rossetti one of, one of these exorcists has served in his role for over 13 years. By the way, if you've never checked out Rossetti's blog, I, I'd recommend it. Just go online, search for Exorcist Diary. I just read an excellent post that he wrote relating a recent demonic attack on a group of sisters in Washington, D.C. at a convent who were praying for the overturn of Roe v. Wade on the part of the Supreme Court. Now, as Rossetti relates his experience, he posits two things worth noting. He suggests, first, that there's no way to scientifically prove demons, demonic possession or presence. Pointedly, you can't prove your way through this subject. That, that's truth number one. Here's truth number two. Truth number two is you cannot scientifically disprove demons, demonic possession or presence. What we're talking about is not science. It's faith. That said... Here's something worth noting. When independent studies are made of exorcisms within the realm of the social sciences, there are present in our world today behaviors and paranormal phenomena that cannot be accounted for within the realm of nature or science. Giordan and Adam P 
Possum Mai's latest volume. Here, this is a good book. It's titled The Social Scientific Study of Exorcism and Christianity. That is a volume I highly recommend to anyone seeking to understand evidence that underlie the contention that yes, demons are alive and well in the 21st century. I also recommend that those interested in delving a bit deeper into the topic practice due diligence in their research. I think it's owed given the reality that over the course of history, significant abuses and fraudulences have been practices where exorcisms concerned. Nonetheless, such blemishes do not mean that demonic activity is not real, nor should the past sins of the church in this regard detract from the responsible practice of exorcism in our world today. It's clear that Jesus and his disciples treated the presence and the work of fallen angels in our world today as a very real fact. The Gospel of Mark, see chapter 16, verse 17, in fact calls the church to the work of casting out demons in his name. Well, we're going to run out of time on this topic for today. We're going to carry it over into next week. I do want to close by, again, just bringing back those initial questions as we continue to think about what our world looks like behind the curtain. If we could see the angel world. First question was, have you ever seen one, an angel, one of God's good angels? Have you seen one? Second question was, have you ever seen a demon? And the third question, and we're going to come back to this next week, is, in your own life, what is what have those interactions looked like, good, good and bad? What have they looked like? Because I'm very much convinced the more I've delved into, studied, and really just thought about this topic, that yes, indeed, the, the world behind this physical world, the world, the supernatural world that we cannot see, is very real and very active at all times. There is a war, a battle being fought. And it's being fought for souls. Let's close on that note today. I, I want to say that I, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you. Uh, we just got back from a, a little bit of a break. Our production team, um, although small, uh, was out of town for a little bit. So our first time back. And uh, I thank you for rejoining us. I wish you God's blessings in this, this week ahead. I'm going to keep praying for you. Continue to pray for me. I, I certainly ask for that. And until next week, have a God-sized week.